welcome to the Tweed Couch Guitar Therapy Session, where we talk about all things guitar-related. My name is Dr. T, and I am not a licensed therapist, but I play one on a podcast. Today on the Tweed Couch, we are counseling on bass basics. The first band I played in had three electric guitar players and a drummer. I was not the best guitarist, but I also was not the worst guitarist. So my buddy, by default, decided to buy a bass and started learning. About three years later, I decided to make a solo demo using a bootleg copy of Cool Edit Pro for PC, and I just wanted to see where it would take me. Of course, this is the late 90s, and I did not own a computer at this time, so I did all this on my parents' base model 1997 Hewlett Packard Pavilion desktop computer, and I routed it all through the 8th inch microphone jack on the back. It was very fun, and I would recommend Backwoods Ghetto Recording to anyone who has low funds and a decent amount of time. But although I had access to instruments, I had no budget for the musicians. So I played drums, all guitar parts, all vocals, and, of course, I had to learn to play bass. But... What bases are good for beginners? Should you use a pick? What other gear do you need? Do you need a special case? What are the two kinds of bass players? And what Gibson bass did my dad, a guitar player, buy at a pawn shop back in 1966 that I used on these solo recordings? Well, we will discuss this and more on this group therapy session with Jeremy on the Tweed Couch. Well, Jeremy, it is great to have you here on the couch. You know, this is the first bass player that we actually have had for group therapy. So thank you for being on the Tweed Couch. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Dr. T. I, I appreciate it. It I got to tell you, it, it is really weird with all of the uh, indentations in the couch. And I I feel a little awkward sitting where I think people lay face down on the couch. So it's, it's I'm, I'm going to tell you, I had chili and I'm afraid that it's going to not be great for him next time. So yeah, the, the couch is vintage, but uh, just a little secret for you where he lays face down is where I put everybody to sit. Ah, gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, he so, doesn't know that, but whatever. Okay. You know, it's cool. Jason well, will he, be all right. It's okay. He doesn't listen, so it's fine. Yeah, yeah, we're good. <laughs> you know, I think it's important, you being the first bass player on here, that we go ahead and find out what kind of bass player you are. Because ah. in my opinion, there are two types of bass players. Okay. There is the one that, like, stands still and has the bass really high, kind of that that mm-hmm. Jocko type mm-hmm. thing. And then there's the one that moves around and has it real low, basically flea. Okay. So gotcha. what are you, or am I wrong? Well, <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, kind of a little bit of both. So I grew up in the 90s in Washington State. There was a very heavy Pacific Northwest punk rock influence in mm. my upbringing, which is different than grunge, by the way. Grunge combines two completely separate styles of music into one geographic location and it's weird um so the the punk scene in in washington in the 90s is what spawned nirvana 
and the screaming trees and and tad and there's there's yeah. a lot of punk bands kind of that west coast punk which is different mm-hmm. than the hard rock scene which was pearl jam and mud honey and uh alice in chains that's a it's a very decidedly different style of music yeah but so i was very heavily influenced by late 80s early 90s punk rock so the majority of what i do bass is pretty low and i am hitting the strings hard enough to make it sound like i'm playing with a pick but i'm not good enough to play with a pick so i don't um So meanwhile, every guitar player right now is saying, I'm not good enough to play with my fingers, so I use a pick. <laughs> so <laughs> so I I have actually learned how to play very badly. Um, mm-hmm. but uh, I like to say I'm a good enough musician that I've overcome my lack of skill at playing yeah. the bass. Um and my terrible technique of playing the bass. Yes, but this is also you understating what you are because you have played with a multitude of bands in a multitude of things. And actually, to me, what gauges success for a bass player is not what band they were in, but who they play with and still makes it work. Yeah. So for you, you've done the jam band, you've done the, mm-hmm. the, the bass player that just has to sit in with whatever artist walks up. And then right. just follow along. Right. Yeah, I've done that. Uh, I've played in bar bands. I've played in ministry bands. I've played at church. I've played with singer-songwriters when they need a bass player. In fact, uh, this next weekend, I am playing with kind of a, a singer-songwriter who a lot of the people within our circles know um, uh, with a band called the Junker Georges. Oh, yeah. And uh, I'm going to be playing with them uh, at a youth event at one of the Quakes in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's it's somewhat intimidating because the lead singer and guitar player for the Junker Georges mm-hmm. kind of taught me how to play bass. And he's a significantly yeah. better bass player than I am. You know, <laughs> so it's the it's it's the whole thing of I may not be the best bass player in the band, but I am the bass player in this band. Yeah, that's right. Well, and actually, it's also intimidating that he's also a better singer than both of us. So yes. it's like, yeah, yeah, he's definitely the talent. And exactly, we're, exactly. <laughs> we're just showing up. Yeah, yeah. Well, I kind of so going back to the do I do I play with my you know guitar low or guitar high? In general, I play with it pretty low because that's what I learned in again in the '90s punk rock scene. Yeah. In fact, I have made my own guitar straps out of seat belts. Because I couldn't get, I'm 6'4", because I know my height doesn't translate into uh, podcast very well. Yeah. I couldn't find a a guitar strap that was long enough for what I liked. So I made one out of a a seatbelt. Well, that's safe. That's good. Exactly. Exactly. Do you like you know the the crash test dummies? Is that yeah? Also- <laughs> that was that was a band that I listened to in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and no, so I what I actually like about the seatbelt strap is I left the adjustability. So if I do need to get more detailed with what I'm playing and, and less just kind of going at it and more, I actually now have to pay attention to very intricate rhythms or I have to have a lot of dynamic range. I can crank that strap shorter just by, you know, going, and now all of a sudden it goes from being very like I'm playing it down below my belt to now I'm, you know, I'm playing it at a normal guitar height and I can get a lot more detailed. 
I can play with a lot more subtlety in that, you know, kind of that sort of thing. So, yeah. Like, you know, you take that, uh, that six foot strap and turn it into like a three foot strap really yeah. quick. Yeah. I mean, I That's still awesome. don't, I still don't get the armpit. I can't do that. That's that's too hard on my wrists. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you know, we're talking about the different people that I play with. Being able to kind of vary what you do and vary your sound to kind of fit certain applications. And you've had my wife Beth on uh, before. We we play yeah. in a, we play in a band where you know there's four of us. And there's a guitar player, my friend Paul, who is different than your brother Paul, because when I say my friend Paul, it's not bingo. Um, so my That's friend right. Paul uh, plays guitar. <laughs> he and Beth kind of are the front people for 100 White Flags. Yep. I, not so much. So I oftentimes will kind of sit back unless, it, unless I need to come forward, and then I'll come forward. Whereas when I play with just Beth doing more acoustic kind of folk rock type stuff, I'll play a much less busy style and kind of let let that ring out versus I played with a really phenomenal musician by the name of Peter Ide at Life Fest last year. He needed a bass player. Oh yeah. Said, "Hey, can you can you hop in for a set cuz his whole family was playing all the instruments." You know, yeah. his son son was playing guitar, his son was playing bass, his son was playing piano. So you got adopted for yes, about for, a thirty five minute set. For about about thirty five minutes. Um yeah. whereas and you know, disowned. in that situation, I am one hundred percent supporting cast. I stood in the way far back on the stage and I did not move. I yeah. just sat there and played my bass and let them do their thing because it's not about me at that point. It's about Peter and Allison and you know, it's it's about them. So it kinda it kinda, you know, the style you have on stage varies depending on what the needs of that band are. See, and okay. So that also brings up an interesting point. So for guitar players, we have the same type thing, you know, we've got to gauge what we do and how we do it based off of what is the need of not just the song, but the look and what the band really goes for and everything. And so as a guitar player, I might need to bring a Les Paul. I might, I, I might need to bring a Strat. I might need to bring four drive pedals, but mm-hmm. I also maybe need all this modulation and I need all these things. Mm-hmm. And I will say that this is where I am super envious of bass players. Because right. for me, whenever I've had to play bass, I've literally just needed my bass, my tuner, a wireless or cable, and a DI. Yeah, that's basically And I it. can play anything, anything yeah. for anybody. And I guess maybe I might need a drive pedal if I was doing grungy type things, but yeah. really, that's all I need. Yeah. So what do you bring for any kind of a gig for bass? Well, okay, so that's an interesting question. There's two different answers for that. One answer is, what do I need to play? Like, if I'm going to church on Sunday, what do I take with me? Well, it's a my bass. bass. It's a strap. <laughs> it's it's usually my headstock clip-on tuner, uh, which I highly okay. recommend the the Polytune clip-on tuners. They're far and away better than any other clip-on tuner that's out there. So the Polytunes, like, do you actually hit all the strings and it reads just no. the same, or is nope. this a single? Uh, I do them one at a time, uh, but it is the okay. exact same tuner. There is a one at a time mode for bass that you can put it in by clicking three buttons on it. 
Okay. Uh, versus hitting them all because that there's so much harmonic resonance in a bass that it would it would just go crazy trying. Yeah, to Yeah, and out the frequency what. is so low. Yeah. I would just assume that it would just be like, um, it's yeah. just muddled. I have no right. idea what this is. No, but uh, so the Polytune brand clip-on tuner, uh, I I use that more than anything else. I take enough cables so that no matter what I'm doing, if I have a cable go down, I'll have another one. So it's it's yep. kind of what you were talking about. I think it was with John about having spares and what to hold what on. Extra to so bring. you're a bass player who's a listener? I am. Shockingly, yeah. <sighs> okay. Yeah. So now to everyone out there who hears this, I want you to understand this is what I call supporting a friend, not <laughs> trying to actually be good. Or he's trying to get an idea of what I'm actually thinking whenever he's talking. But Mo- yeah, mostly that. <laughs> yeah. But this is, I mean, thank you very much for listening yeah. on the couch. Yeah. 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 Um, but so uh, when I, when I'm playing, you know, just a basic gig, really all I need is my bass, a strap, some sort of tuner, one or two cables and a direct box. Now, when I'm going to a gig that is more than five minutes away from my house, I actually have a, a, a case full of an amazing amount of additional items. And part of it is because I have played gigs where, you know, I've been 10, 15 minutes away from my house and blown a string. And what do you oh, do? Oh, yeah. Um, I also uh, play in a band uh, with my friend Paul, again, not a bingo, yeah. and my and my wife, who have a lot of things. They have a lot of pedals. They have a lot of things. And what happens if they forgot a power supply? I'm not sure. saying I'm not saying that happened in uh, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, two years ago, and then no, of course uh, not for my wife's entire pedal board. Yeah, but, of course not. Uh, or what happens if they forget a tuner or what happens yeah. if their in-ears blow up? Oh, that's another thing. I always, almost all the time I, I play on in-ears now. Um, yep. I very rarely will be playing with a wedge. So I actually have two sets of in-ears. I've got my really nice uh, all Claire five driver custom molded in-ears. Mm-hmm. And then I've got a backup set of dual driver West tones from 15 years ago. Okay. That are just universal fit. They just have the little foamies on. Yep. And then I have another backup set of KZ (laughs) ten something something something. The five driver ones you get them for fifty bucks on Amazon. Yeah. They they are surprisingly good. Yeah, they Um, are. And actually, so that's a good point too. So as talking about backup gear, mm -hmm. I think most of that is stuff that I also agree with for guitar players. So like I bring my like really nice all clear ears. I have the Spire 6. And so I'll bring those, but I'll also have just some regular old like sure 15s that i'll you know the 215 ones that Mm -hmm. that i'll just bring them with me and usually when i have to use those it's actually when somebody else's mess up yep and they go here you can just use my spare right and then i always caveat but if mine go down you're screwed i'm taking them back yeah i have had i've had a number of situations where i'll roll up to a gig and the guitar player is going well i didn't bring earbuds or I have my, you know, i iPhone earbuds. They'll work, oh, yeah. right? I'm like, oh, God no! All right, here, use these. I've got these two yep. things of tips. Uh, some are bigger, some are smaller. Pick 
pick the size that fits. I've got, you know, uh, or, hey, can I borrow your tuner? It's like, so what are you going to use during the 45-minute set? Uh, I don't know. I'll just tune by ear. Okay. Here's my tuner. I, I in my Here's a Boss TU3. Exactly. And, <laughs> and so let, let's actually talk. I don't know that I've ever heard you talk about cases before, but I have a Pelican case. Pelican is a brand. Um, yeah. And they make uh, cases that are mil-spec, uh, which means, you know, there's a whole certain criteria they have to fit in terms of being able to be puncture resistant, be drop resistant, yep. be airtight, watertight, and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, in England, uh, they're called Pelly because I guess Pelican was already a trademark or something like that. Oh, um, sure. But uh, there is a size of case. Uh, it is their model 1510 which is mm-hmm. the maximum allowed carry-on size by the TSA. So that little thing when you're checking on to it, when you're getting on a plane, they have that yeah. little bin, it fits in there. Oh, yeah. That is a very, very good size case to put all of your everyday carry stuff to gigs. So in mine, and I'm sitting there looking at it right now, I have a two uh, one-spot nine-volt power adapters. I don't have anything that they run. That's not true. I do have a tuner in here that it runs, but mostly it's because other people in my band will need it. Right. I have two tuners, two boss tuners. I have a TU3 and a TU2. I have two mm-hmm. direct boxes. Um, they're the Pro 48 direct box by um, uh, Rapco. Uh, radial. Oh, Radial. Sorry, I said Rapco. I meant Radial. Oh, I also have a Polytune 3 tuner. Oh. There's There's a whole number of extra guitar cables i have two 20 footers two 10 footers and then a a handful of patch cables i will never use those but i have them yeah i have i have my wireless rig in there i have uh an extra guitar strap i have extra nine volts i have two sets of strings uh, for my bass one set of guitar strings and oh uh a, a can of deoxit which also uh the the g5 deoxit <laughs> Okay, for those that cannot see this, I want you to understand, imagine a magician's box yeah. where essentially he just keeps pulling stuff out. And, and what else do I have? I have a 20-foot yeah, exactly. ladder. Yep. And what yep. else do I have? And, I have and a this, Buick. And this lamp. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. that's right. And it just keeps pulling more out. It's crazy. <laughs> I don't know but how it all fits in this. Is it, Pelican, like, is this a magic box? Yeah. So, so moral of the story is I have enough so that if any piece of my gear goes down, aside from the base, if the base okay. itself breaks, I'm in trouble. But if right. literally any other piece of gear that I would use breaks, I can, I have a spare. And the way I look at it is, especially if I am working with another singer songwriter and they're hiring me as a hired gun, I 100% will not have a failure just oh yeah period um yep because that just doesn't ruin you for the next chance that somebody calls you for a gig it ruins you for whoever they tell yeah to get a gig exactly yeah so yeah that's that's more or less my everyday carry and something that you again when you were talking with john about spares you guys talked about cases for your amp and how it's important to have a roadworthy case. Yeah. The one thing, and I hear you guys talking about, you know, if you added up the total amount of guitars that you guys have talked about buying or selling or 
having or owning <laughs> or anything. And you have not once talked about what you carry them to gigs in. Yeah, that's true. You know, you've got a $1,000, $2,000 piece of temperamental wood in a <laughs> in a cardboard case that is painted black. That's true. Sometimes brown. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> brown. And you know, when you when you sit back and think about that, it makes absolutely no sense. Even like the ones that come in a plastic case with a little yeah. bit more styrofoam, it's yeah. still a pla- if you were to stand on that, you were gonna, you'd break your neck. Well, not your neck, yeah. but the guitar neck. We we um, would break necks. You, I think yes. Yes. So I have over the last about 15 years, every instrument that I own has a suitable case for it. So for my basses, I went out and bought a uh, Pelican. It's an IM 3300. It is a double assault rifle case. (laughs) Yes. But it's only an assault rifle case if you put an assault rifle in it. If you put a really? bass guitar in it, it's a bass case. No. And I'm so, pretty sure that it would definitely be taken by the government if you took that to the airport. Yeah. Shockingly, I actually have a piece of gaff tape on it. It's orange gaff tape that says, this is a guitar in very big, <laughs> bold letters because I get asked every single time I go to check that on a plane. Is that a, is it, is that a, is that a firearm, sir? Nope. It's a guitar. Uh, that's a rifle case. Nope. It's a guitar case. Uh, yep. you sure? Can I look in it? Yeah. I mean, it's a guitar. And yeah, so we, yeah. we go back and forth. Um, but I also own, uh, SKB actually makes good roto molded cases that are, they're not mil spec, but they will stand up to an awful lot yeah. of beating around in a trailer. Yeah. It's those TSA cases. Yeah. 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 And they have the stupid TSA locks on them. I actually don't like those yeah, at do. all. Nope. Never ever lock your guitars. Just don't do it. Cause yeah. you lose you lose the lock and then you have to break your case to get it out. Yep. It's it's terrible. There's a there's a story about uh the Foo Fighters when they were trying out new guitar players uh, the for the spot that Chris Shiflett eventually took. All these people were showing up with guitars and this one kid he was Super excited about being there. He had a brand new guitar he had just bought and he was going to try out. And he got there and they're like, all right, well, let's play some. And he didn't have the key to the lock on the brand new guitar that he had just bought. Oh, my gosh. Right? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So just take that key and throw it away. Don't ever lock your guitar. Uh, It's dumb. But they also, SKB also made an I-series case for acoustic guitars, which are the same spec as as Pelicans. Yeah, I've seen those. And so when we fly- They're expensive. They they are. But if you have a $2,500 tailor, what are you going to fly to your gig in? I mean, you're going to check a piece of cardboard underneath the plane? Yeah, just throw it in a gig bag. It'll be fine. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So I'm not saying there's not an application for a gig bag, but if you're going to be on the road a lot and you're going to be touring or you're going to be flying yeah. to any gigs, your instrument needs to be cared for. So Yeah. Uh, well, well bought- and that makes sense too because, I mean, okay, so I've got my Gibson R9. Right. The lift-in case that it goes in mm-hmm. will go for like four to $600 on its own. Right. Do I really want to put the R9 in this lift-in case, which was designed for beauty and his- history, mm-hmm. not 
being able to be thrown by some luggage handler into right. the bottom of a, the belly of a airplane. Or even, you know, if you're, no. if you're a touring musician, just in your trailer, you know, yeah. or under the seats in your van and you put your feet on them, you know, it, 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 again, you have to have something that's for utility, right? Yeah. And for those of us in the United States, Harbor Freight actually is coming out with their own kind of cheap version of the old style Pelican from okay. like 15 years ago. You can go down and get them for, you know, a hundred bucks now. They're significantly better than the alternative of, you know, yeah. a cardboard box. They also sell rifle cases. You can go down and get them at Harbor Freight uh, and you can get them in my favorite color, uh, which is the desert tan. Yes. Because it stands out from all the other cases. Yeah, that's right. Because yeah. everything else is black. Yeah, exactly. Also in my case, and something that I know John talked about, I have two rolls of gaff tape. Not duct tape, not gaffer tape, which is duct tape, but English. It's gaff tape. <laughs> uh, and gaff tape is what you use... Uh, in the production world to tape mm -hmm. cables down and cords down, as well as we use gaff tape to mark all of our cases with what's in it. Cause you can get colored gaff tape. Yep. We all, we also actually use gaff tape to mark whose equipment is whose. Okay. So that actually brings up an interesting point. You said that you've got extra cables and you've got mm -hmm. extra tuners and yep. you've got extra one spots and all these yep. things. How do you make sure you get it back at the end? Do you have a special marking for these yeah. things? Yeah, we take the color that my band uses, 100 White Flags, and all of the dorsing equipment, Beth's gear and my gear, uh, yep. all of it has blue gaff tape. And I know, again, the podcast can't see this, but I actually have on this microphone, it's got a little piece of blue gaff tape, and it's got blue gaff tape on the XLR in my my yep. in-ears here have blue gaff tape on them. And yep. literally, the stand you're using has blue gaff tape. Yep. yep. It's weird that your glasses have blue gaff tape yeah. on it, though. So I think that's weird. You don't know it yet, but this this couch now has blue gaff tape on it. I have called yeah. it. Uh, I your left good. shoe yep. and your right shoe. That's correct. Just in case. Just Never just know when they're case, separated. Right. But every single cable that I own has blue gaff tape on it. And all of my tuners have blue gaff tape. And all, I mean... That way I know that's mine. And John's color is orange. John uses right. orange gaff tape. The the band that you play with, Lynn Stone King, mm -hmm. theirs is green. They all yep. use green. And so by everybody having a color code, you know which gear is yours. And if you look into your case and all of a sudden there's something in there that's yellow, it's like, mm, that's not mine. I don't know whose that yep. is, but it ain't mine. Um, yeah, and interestingly enough, all of my stuff, it has the yellow gaff tape on it. Yeah. I just never bring my stuff whenever we're doing it because you guys have everything. So I'm like, <laughs> we try. I, I don't need to bring it back up. I'm yeah. Good. Yeah. We try. <laughs> but yeah. So ultimately I almost never to, to jump back two topics ago. I almost never use an amp anymore on stage. I own one. I own a Ampeg 410 cab. I uh, use a little Ampeg mm -hmm. Portaflex bass amp head that also fits yep. into my Pelican case. But, you know, you guys chase tone so much, you guitar players. Yeah, we do. For me, I never really care too much about trying to match the sound of the album. It just doesn't matter. Ah. It just needs to sound like a bass. 
Because the sound guy is going to make it sound like the sound guy wants it to sound anyways. True. So I just need to send him enough presence, enough attack, and make sure that Mm -hmm. it's not clipping anything and just send that to him, and then he's going to make it sound like what he sounds like. And that's kind of the secret that I don't know if you guitar players have figured out yet. The sound guy actually affects the tone of your guitar more than you do. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And you know what? When I learned that the most was when I made an album. Yep. Yep. Because the tone I had in the room was amazing. Mm -hmm. And the tone I got on the album was amazing. But when I heard the track isolated, I went, what's that? Yep. Well, that's your guitar. That's my guitar. Yeah. Which that actually brings up an important point. Um, piano players, I'm speaking to you. And uh, anybody who plays a Mesa Boogie amp, I'm speaking <laughs> to you. The low end is for the bass. Yeah. And you want them to have that. Yeah. And you need to focus on kind of the mids and upper mids. Yeah. I, I always tell, like at, at church, uh, especially, you get, you get people who know how to play the piano but don't know how to play the piano in a band. I just yep. tell them, okay, take your hands, move them up an octave. Yep. That's that's Absolutely. where they live now. That's They all live up an octave. You don't get to play that low C anymore. Um, nope. Because if you play it, nobody's going to hear it because I have a hard, you know, roll off on that. So that's that's all gone. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So this probably is a good time for us to take a break. So we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, I want to talk about a beginner bass, like what's a good beginner bass. And I have a great story to talk about my dad who actually was a guitar player back in the sixties who got the gig as a bass player and needed to find a bass. So it's pretty cool. So we'll be back in just a moment after our sponsors. If you are looking for a way to help support the Tweed couch and it costs no money to you, then check out our YouTube channel and become a subscriber. Also, you can tell someone about the podcast and share an episode with them. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Are you looking for a party with a purpose? If you love music, family-friendly, and camping, then you need to come to LifeFest. In July of 2022, they will have two festivals once again. One at the Sunnyview Fairgrounds in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and the other at the Johnny Cash Hideaway Farm in Bonagua, Tennessee. I'll see you there. Let's hear from another sponsor. Since 2003, the Crestman Guitar Company has been repairing stringed instruments and building custom guitars and basses. In 2021, Kretzman started production of a solid body electric guitar with the goal of providing affordable, awesome looking and sounding guitars that anyone, student to expert, would be proud to play and own. Be sure to check them out at kretzmanguitars.com. That's K-R-E-T-Z-M-A-N-N, guitars.com. Okay, so let's go into this idea. So I'm a guitar player, and occasionally I was asked to play bass. Now, when it comes time for me to play bass, I basically think of a power chord Mm -hmm. and go wherever my index finger is, that is now root, and I will do that. Right. But I need a bass. So I had a bass that I gravitated towards. It was completely Mm -hmm. based off of, it's what I saw other people do. Right. And I went out and I bought a Squire jazz bass. It was fun. It was cool. Mm -hmm. 
but it was also heavy and very long. So what do you think? If, if you're someone who has never played bass before, or if you're a guitar player who's trying to transition into playing some bass for some gigs, right. what would you choose for someone like that to start playing? Right. So there are a number of different ways to think about that. Um, number one, what type of music are you playing? Number two, how are you okay. going to play it? Are you going to play with a mm-hmm. pick? Or are you going to play with your fingers? Number three, what's your budget? Right? Yes. Um, I have heard a number of people make the argument that they want to make sure that their their kid's first guitar is going to be a really good guitar. I disagree mm-hmm. with that uh, to a point. So if I if I'm buying a guitar or a bass for my for my son, who actually is just now playing bass uh, in their their eighth grade jazz band and so he's like uh can i can i play bass on this and so he's got a bass that he plays at school um it's a it's a actually a really interesting uh uh bass Um, okay it's it's actually a really cool makes great stuff obviously somebody donated it to the school because there's no reason why the school would have gone out and bought an 800 hundred dollar bass (laughs) <laughs> but more or less the the neck width on that is a roughly the same as a p bass and the uh pickups more or less sound like a p bass so okay i personally play uh one of three basses i own a 1989 five string music man stingray i own mm-hmm. a 1991 four string music man stingray and okay. I own a sometime in the early 2000s uh, Mexico Fender J bass. Yep. I have played many, 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 many basses. I have learned that my particular style of playing, I don't play P bass as well. They kind of sound like garbage when I'm playing them. Because yeah, they're I, very low, less, less sparkle yeah. in presence for sure. And I hit, I play too hard. So it always sounds blatty, you know. It's a, it, oh, it, yeah. It does not sound great. It sounds great though if you're playing with a pick, yeah. Um, and you're playing all the way down by the bridge. It it sounds great. So a couple of things: if you're a kid or if you're you know smaller in stature, uh, you want to look at the neck width, um, make sure that it's comfortable in your hands. Mm-hmm. The um, the Ibanez uh, little uh, four strings you can get them for about two hundred bucks down at Guitar Center. Um, they're yeah. actually great guitars for kids or if you got smaller hands uh they're great basses so and it's because of how thin or like i I guess i should say the width is a little bit less is it also a short scale uh it is shorter scale okay i'll be 100 percent on you here's and i am not nearly as much of a gear head as some people are so um and i'm actually gonna does gonna, it play good does it sound good and we're done with the conversation it, well it. it doesn't sound like a bass um yeah but uh so How does it sound with a tuner right a strap, exactly a cord and a di box the in general you have two types of basses you have a p bass which is based on a fender precision bass or you have mm-hmm. a J bass, which is more or less based on a Fender jazz bass. Yeah. The P bass has two, um, well, actually it ends up being one pickup, but it's broken into two pieces. They sit right next to each other, kind of offset. Right. Versus the J bass has two single coil pickups. One is by the neck and one is by the bridge. 
Yes. So those are basically, if you look at just about any bass guitar, it's going to be one of those two configurations. Now, are yeah. there are there kind of other bases? Yes, I, my Stingray has one massive humbucker, so that's significantly different. But in general, those are the two. So if you are a well, uh, but when most people play a J bass, yeah, they usually turn both master volumes up, which is essentially like playing a humbucker. I will say that. <laughs> yes, it 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 is the fact that you're getting a lot more from the neck. You get a lot mellower, kind of full mm-hmm. sound. From the bridge, you get a lot brighter, more attack. So yeah, the humbucker on my Stingray, because it's mm-hmm. all the way back by the bridge, gets a lot more of that bridge attack sound. Yeah. You can still play more mellow, but that's not its forte. Its forte okay. is a very, very attack-driven sound. You hear mm-hmm. it a lot in late 70s disco. A lot of uh, <laughs> early '80s um, country and pop was was recorded on mm-hmm. Stingrays. But your question was, what would what would you suggest for somebody? And yeah. here's here's my answer. I don't know. Oh well, that's what, a great what, answer. But here's why: because literally everybody is different. Similar yeah. to I think your idea of you want to be inspired to play it. Hmm. And part of that is comfort. So you want it to not be too heavy. You want the neck to not be too big. If you're yep. if you're a small person, you don't want to, you know, make it feel like you're you're reaching all the way to the end, you know. You mm-hmm. want it to be comfortable. So I would highly recommend go down to your local guitar center or go down to your local music around or go down to your local independent guitar store of whatever kind. Start picking stuff up. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't spend for a first base. I would not spend more than about 300 bucks. Yeah. Is that, you know, does that mean you're going to buy something used off of Craigslist or, you know, Facebook marketplace? Sure. Does that mean you're going to buy something used uh, from whatever, buy something cheap that is comfortable and then figure out what you like or don't like about it. Um, when I first started playing bass, uh, I am actually not a bass player. I am a singer. I am a choir geek who also can play a lot of instruments. Yeah. But I became a bass player by default because I wanted to go on this traveling youth ministry thing that you have done and most of the people that you've had on this podcast have done. True. Called called Captive Free. And I was like, well, what instrument can I play on Captive Free? Because my style of singing is very choral. It's very mm-hmm. choir oriented, very deep. You know, I, I'm great at that. I don't so much have a rock and roll voice. So I'm like, well, I probably can't be a singer. I don't think I know how to play guitar well enough to be able to play guitar. I don't think I can play piano well enough to play piano. So I called up my buddy Nate and I said, Nate, what can I learn how to play over a summer well enough to go out on the road doing this, you know, music thing? And he said, well, you can probably learn how to play bass fast enough. I'm like, great. Do you have a bass I can borrow? He's like, yeah. So he loaned me his Squire P bass. Yeah. Over the course of a summer, I would go, I was working on a farm. I would go, uh, go out, do all the things that you do on a farm. What kind of farm was it? Uh, it is a, uh, mostly orchard, but also row crop at that time farm in Eastern Washington. 
Yeah, because a lot of people will be like, oh, you're talking about corn and soybeans. And I'm like, nope, not nope. where you were. No, 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 no. Mostly mostly orchard. We did a lot of cherries and apples and pie cherries, um, yep. but also also row crops. So I would, I would go out. I'd come in from the farm, shower up, eat dinner, and then I'd spend two hours playing bass. And mm-hmm. nobody taught me how to play it. I just figured out how to make my hands do the notes. Yep. But what I did is I took a CD, and we're getting pretty far afield here but i took a cd i'd put it yeah. on track one those are those round things that you can look yeah, at yourself it, in. most people use them as a coaster yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so i'd put a cd and i'd put it on track one repeat and i would play along with the cd until i could play it and then i'd go to track two repeat yeah i'd play along with that until i could play it and i was a good enough musician to understand i could learn well enough by ear i could make it make those notes Yep. I didn't understand what I was doing, but I could make it make those notes. And that album, by the way, uh, this is this is kind of a, a little Easter eggy thing. Do you know what that album was? I'm going to go with This is late nineties. Um, this is ninety eight. Late nineties. So this is nineteen ninety eight. It was the Austin Power soundtrack. Nope. Not, not okay. even close. That would also not even be close. very hard. Okay. <laughs> it was the Joe Cocker album. You can leave your hat on. That would be awesome. I don't think it was that. would have been awesome. That was was late 80s. Um, Okay, it was 10 Things I Hate About You soundtrack. Exactly. Nailed it. 100%. Uh, No, it was- Titanic? It was- uh, Celine Dion. You're doing a lot of soundtracks. Are you just looking down a list of DVDs that you have in your room there? I am not, but that would be hilarious. (laughs) Yes. Actually, these are the DVDs I just have sitting in front of me that- I was planning on watching later today, but you know. Right. Uh no, it was uh it, it was Dookie by Green Day. Oh yes. Perfect. Now, if you think yep. that think that through, that is not an easy album to play bass on. Da-doon, doon, doon, doon. I mean like he was all, all over the place. It's all melodic bass lines in a three piece yes, punk it is. band, right? And so that's how I learned. I learned how to by trying to make my bass sound like the guy from Green Day, which is hard. Yeah. That is not easy yeah, to do. It is. <laughs> but uh, so I learned how to play on that. But when I, when I got on Captive Free, I started realizing the deficiencies of that Squire P bass. And I started realizing that I don't particularly care for this or this. So I then bought another P bass with better pickups, better controls, better frets, better everything, uh, off of another captive free member who was, uh, had finally received their bass. Long story. Okay. So I played that bass for a while, and then we randomly did a, a gig with uh, the band Clear. Yes. Yeah, right? This is 1999, I, yeah. I think it is. But so the bass player for Clear was playing a stingray. And I looked at that and I went, oh man, that is the prettiest thing I have ever seen. Yeah. And so I was inspired by that bass to play bass. So I then over the next year found one because even then they were $1,200 new. Oh yeah. You know, $1,500 new. I found one used on Craigslist Next to a buddy of mine that happened to be, uh, it was in the upper peninsula of Michigan. I bought it sight unseen, had him pick it up and bring it to me. And that that's my five string stingray. 
Yeah, um, the 89? The 1989, yeah. So I remember this one because we ended up using this some on the second Adam album. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what I remember about it was it's Olympic white for yep. in all intents and purposes, but really it's yellow. Yep. And and now it's yellow with a lot of bare wood. Yes. Because they not so only good. did the white UV yellow considerably, but they also had a paint adhesion issue in the late yeah. 80s, early 90s. And so even my 91 has a lot of bare wood showing. Yeah. And it's not that I'm overly hardcore on it. Uh, it's just that it comes Rejecting. And, and I think it's awesome. I love oh, the fact yeah. that it's not a case queen. I love the fact that it, it doesn't yes. even look remotely close to perfect. I think it is so much better because of that. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, I use them. I, I use the heck out of them and they look like it. But uh, I played and played and played until I figured out what I wanted. And I paid nothing for the first one. It was a, it was a hand-me-down for my, my buddy Nate. I paid yep. $300 for my second one. Yep. Then I, pl- I paid a significant amount more for my five-string. And then I bought a four-string Stingray. Mm-hmm. And then I think I paid 400 bucks for my, my uh, J-Base used on Craigslist. Yeah. But really, it boils down to you literally have to pick it up and play it. You have to see, does yeah. do I like the feel of it? Do I like the weight of it? Because that Stingray mm-hmm. is heavy as all get out. It's oh, yeah. A, it's an ash body, and it is, it is not a light thing. Um, but uh, do you like it? Do you like the way it feels? Do you like the way it looks? Does it make you want to play? Because if you don't look at it and go, yeah, I want to play bass, then you got the wrong bass. Yeah. And I, I'm completely with you on that. I, I know that I had the jazz bass and I went, that's what I want because that's the thing that I've seen people play. And I go, that's the sound. And I got it because I went, it's inspiring to pick up and play. Mm-hmm. And so I did that and I picked it up and I played it. And ultimately at the end of the day, it was too heavy and mm-hmm. it was too long. I'm a guitar player. Right. And I started searching for a short scale bass. Right. And that actually reminds me of a story my dad told me because my dad's a guitar player and he played guitar with a few different little bands and all of a sudden a bass player position opened and they said, we need you to come play at this, you know, event thing that's happening. It's like a dance or something like that. Keep in mind, this is the Mm sixties. All right. And so he's, like, all right, sure. He has this big old amp. He has a 64 Showman amplifier, big old oh, yeah. Fender amplifier. It's like uh-huh. 85 watts. And he, it, it came with one 15 and he modded it to have two 15s. And okay. it, so it's big, it's boomy. Right. It's pretty awesome. Right. But he didn't have a base and he grew up as a farmer. Well, the farmer for him was corn and soybean and right. all that. Yep. And so he went to a pawn shop and it just so happened in this pawn shop was a 1953 Gibson EBO base, which was Hmm. the very first year Gibson ever made a solid body base. Right. Right. And he sees it in the pawn shop and goes, well, I mean, I guess I could do this. I mean, I need a base. Right. So I'm going to go ahead and pick this one up. And so he ended up buying this EBO base and playing it for that gig and he still has it now but this is also the time frame when everything matched 
You know, like, you, have yeah. you seen the movie That Thing You Do? Yep. Oh, yeah. You know how on that movie it's like they all have sunburst guitars and it kind of matches the drum set and then they have yep. white stuff and it all mm-hmm. matches and everything? Yep. Well, that was that time. So he had this dirty walnut looking bass and mm-hmm. the drummer had a white drum set. And so he went, I think we need to paint it white. Oh, no. So he painted the whole thing white. Oh, no. And then about two, three years later, he joined another band. And that band, well, that guy had a blue drum set. Right. So he took it to the auto body shop nice. and they painted it blue. I, I'm actually, I, I'm a lot happier that you took it to the auto body shop. That, that's better. But still. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Yep. And oh. so now that guitar has been blue for as long as I know. But he still has that bass. Uh-huh. And it is gorgeous. Serial number is the same. Yeah. The neck, they didn't touch any of the finish to the neck. So it's checking just right. Everything nice. looks gorgeous. Yep. It's just the body. Nice. That's what they kept changing. But, but once again, you go, so that kind of a guitar, why did he pick that bass? Well, he pulled a few different ones off, but he chose that one because it's a shorter scale. Right. And he went, man, this, this feels like guitar. Right. Yeah. And sure enough, what ended up being my base that I ended up going to? Well, I found a short scale 68 EBO base. And right. I was like, you know what? This feels good, but it's really like muddy and low. Mm-hmm. So I play it with a pick and I go, actually, that's better because right. I know how to use a pick. Right. Right. Uh, and you know what? If you can make it work, then the combination of the the method you're playing it with the inherent you know what do these pickups sound like what are these strings because changing gauges of strings makes a fairly massive difference to a tone in a bass. Um, it, oh, it I didn't really know that. it really does. It you know it's not so much like if you go from you know nines to tens, uh you know on an electric, you feel it more. And you feel mm-hmm. more like it's harder to bend, but really the tone doesn't change a massive amount. It changes. Yeah, it's maybe but just it's, a touch brighter or whatever. But yeah. You you go from, you know, 45s to 50s on a bass, and it changes the tone pretty significantly. Um really. Yeah. Well, quite which a bit. also makes sense for even like flat wound and nickel wound to yeah. all that. Yeah. You know, and a lot of people really dig flat wounds i am not one of them and it's mostly because i play coated round wound strings i play elixirs Mm -hmm. flat wounds i have never been able to justify the additional expense with the gain in tone or feel i just i don't care about the feel and elixirs get i think a better tone out of the bases that i play than flat wounds yeah. If you're playing a fretless, a flat wound, I think is kind of a must. Um, but mm. I am not good enough to play a fretless. <laughs> I, yeah. I just, I do not have that. Let's particular be honest. Skillset. Nobody really is. No. Unless you play upright. Right. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, but I know you were talking about yours having flat wounds and then also playing yep. it with a pick. And part of why your bass sounds the way it sounds is because of those flat wounds. Oh yeah, absolutely. It, it, you know, it is what it is, but there is no right or wrong way to do it. There's just the way that you like it and the way you like the sound, you know, like some, some people really dig playing on, you know, single 15 
amps. Some people like playing single 18 amps. I yep. don't understand that because all you get is presence and you don't get any attack. I much right. would much rather play on a 410 if I have to play something because a 410 moves more air than a single 15 because there's more cone size. But you yep. also get the faster response and the more attack of having the smaller, you know, speakers. So Yeah, I agree with you. That's, you know, everybody, they're kind of all about one thing or the other. If I had my way, I'd play on a 4.8 all the time. Oh. But they're so rare and they're so infrequent that if I ever have to play yeah. it on, a, on an amp, I usually play a 4.10. Well, I think this probably puts us to a point where we should probably closing up our session. So my question that I have for you are, what are some final thoughts that you would have towards any bass player? Well, let's be honest, this is probably a guitar player podcast. So <laughs> any guitar player who is wanting to pick up bass or maybe has somebody around them that they want to, you know, try and encourage to play so that they can play together. Mm -hmm. What would you have to say to that guitar player out there who's looking to either pick up bass or pick up a bass to encourage someone else to play? I think one of the, the hardest things for guitar players to understand is you're no longer the melody. You're now, mm. uh, the bass sets the harmony. Without the bass playing the root, you don't know what the harmonies are. And so without the root, the melody even sounds out of place. So you, you have to transition your thought process from, I'm now you know going from light, sweet, melodic parts to I am now creating the base of the pyramid of sound, right? Uh, I, am, I am setting the harmony. I am setting the rhythm. And what are you doing with that? What are you, you know, what are you trying to do? There is a place for melodic bass lines. Nine times out of 10 nowadays, uh, if you're playing a melodic bass line, you're, you're too busy. Um, if there's more mm. than three instruments in your band, you should not be playing a melodic bass line. You should be playing uh, a rhythmic set the harmony, play mostly the roots, but then also because you are playing harmonics, you can toss in fourths, you can toss in fifths, you can even toss in walk-ups, you know, seventh walk-ups, but that, that is your, your point. What, is the, what are you trying to do as a member of the band? You have to change your mindset. Are they both stringed instruments? Yes. Can a guitar player make noise on a bass? Absolutely you can. <laughs> that does not mean you're a bass player without changing the mindset you're going to it with, right? You have to think more along the lines of now I'm building, I'm building not only rhythm but harmony. And if I'm playing more than eighth notes, you're probably playing too much. Yeah. That's... That is excellent, excellent advice. And actually... I want to talk more. So we are going to have to do another one again. Would you come back on the couch for some I therapy? Would, I would love to. I actually have a number of things that I'd like to set straight about other podcasts that you've done. So uh, Excellent. Let's, we, we, should, we should probably do this at some point in the future. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, that would be wonderful. Okay, so we will do that sometime in the future. We will have a set the record straight or a bass player's perspective <laughs> on what has already happened on the Guitar Player Podcast. Yeah, there you go. Absolutely. That'd be great. Well, thanks for being on the couch. Absolutely. Dr. T, I appreciate it. Uh, any opportunity I have to come back here and further my therapy, I would absolutely love it. 
Yes. All right. Well, until next time. Well, that concludes our time of the Tweed Couch Guitar Therapy Session. If you like what you heard, leave five stars in a review. Also, don't forget to check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Tweed Couch. Until next time. Thank you.